Welcome to Dying to Ask. I am so excited about today's episode because I get to find out how the world of influencers really works. One of my favorite people to follow at NYC FitFam on Instagram. So my best friend, Amy Freeze in New York, she's a meteorologist at the ABC station in New York City. She was the one who turned me on to this account. And Amy is always doing that. She'll like call me and she will rapid fire say, you need to follow blah, 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 blah. And then I, I do. She sen- usually sends me screen grabs because I can't remember stuff that fast. But NYC Fit Fam was one of those accounts. She said, the content's great, really cool workout stuff. You're going to love it. So I've been following for years and I loved the content. It was smart, approachable content, really well written. And it was this, this super cute New York City couple and they documented their fit life on social media. Now, normally that kind of thing would make me want to, you know, have my stomach turn and find it annoying. But the content was so good so well done that I just loved it. And I kind of fell in love with this couple too. It was just really fun, always positive. So NYC Fit Fam, I'll get to her real name in a minute, then launched a podcast, which I learned about again through her Instagram feed called Off the Gram. And this was with a group of fellow influencers, um, all grown ups, no like super young people, and all really accomplished women in their careers, variety. So it's kind of the soundtrack for me Monday afternoon when I go out for a run, I put Off the Gram into my pod queue, and I'm good for 45 minutes to an hour. So it was while I was listening to the podcast that I realized that NYC FitFam was actually Jamie Hess, AKA Joan London's daughter. You see these dots connecting? See how it's working here? So Joan, one of my journalism icons, you might remember she was a prior guest on the show uh, last summer with her really awesome aging book that she wrote. Well, I have loved Jamie's content all this time and her outlook probably because she has a lot of her mom's best qualities as well. So it's just kind of weird, like these two, two completely different people came together and it was funny. I thought, well, I guess I'm just, I'm just stalking their family, (laughs) trying to pull off some of this great energy they both have. So on this time to ask, Jamie Hess is on the show and we will talk about how she traded a two, nearly two decade career as a New York City PR powerhouse for life as a fitness influencer. How does that happen? Then we'll talk about how she turned her successful Instagram feed side hustle into a business and a TV career, including frequent appearances on QVC. That also might be where you recognize her from. The lessons she learned about work and motherhood from watching her mom get up in the middle of the night for most of her childhood. I'm hoping there's something there for my kids. She tells some really great Good Morning America stories too, about well, at least from her perspective being a kid, which is kind of cool. And Jamie and her husband, George, did something that a lot of people might have thought was kind of crazy in the middle of a pandemic. They moved from their apartment in New York City to the burbs of Pennsylvania, like total life change. And she has some great advice for anybody thinking about taking their life 180. And then at the end, we'll talk about why she says joy is a choice, at least for her, and the word she says at the end of every single day to keep herself on track. Joy is a choice. That's awesome. Jamie Hess is on Dying to Ask. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I know two things. One, that phrase, I'll sleep when I'm dead, is starting to seem likely. And two, the best conversations take time. Dying to Ask is my chance to have longer, more meaningful conversations without a producer yelling rap in my ear. Personal change requires personal growth. And these days, Plan B is the new Plan A. Ready to do life bigger and better despite the Rona? This is Dying to Ask. 
Jamie, it's so nice to finally meet you in person. You mean through Zoom, you you know. Yes, I feel like you're here in my home, (laughs) in my living room. (laughs) Well, I do do feel like I'm in your living room a lot because, um, and I I just told this story in the intro, but I've actually followed you for years, but through your Instagram handle, through my best friend is a woman named Amy Freeze, who's a meteorologist in New York City. And we're both really into wellness and fitness. And she, so she's always giving me a list of people to follow. And she's like, oh, you got to follow these two. These two are awesome. So I had been following you forever and following your Instagram page. And then one day I saw you had this new podcast and I started listening. And I was listening for a while before I made the connection that you were Joan London's daughter. So I actually had followed you in other ways through Joan's career for a long time. It was so strange. I hear that a lot. And it's very funny. It's very funny. And Amy Freeze is wonderful. And it's so funny, even on that note, you know, sometimes I run into ABC family, you know, Good Morning America family. And we have these two different worlds of connection. Like Sam Champion held me as a baby, but we're best friends as grownups. You know what I mean? Uh, Just like we have all of these funny kind of like, or I would bring my clients when I was a publicist to GMA and they still have some of the same floor directors working there that they did that played hide and seek with me when I was five years old and on set with my mom. So, is, so and it, I think you had lots met of fun. Amy at Soul Cycle, if I remember the story right. It's been a while. Yeah. And we're both running, you know, kind of buddies. She's obviously a marathoner and covers the marathon for ABC. Exactly. WBC. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny how the world kind of, you know, comes around. And of course, we're based out of Sacramento at KCRA where your mom got started. Your mom was actually a prior Dying to Ask podcast guest as well. And she is just, she's a lovely, lovely person and so generous, not only with her experience being really like blazing the trail for women like me and you as well in media, but um, just being just a really nice person and, and setting that example as well. So huge fan over here. She's always been not just my role model, but my mom is such a down to earth person that we almost didn't know that she was a celebrity as it were. And when I became a publicist, I would suggest to her things like, like she would be like, oh, I want this, you know, Burberry diaper bag, you know, when she was having her babies. And I was like, well, mom, let me just reach out to Burberry. And she's like, no, no, no. Like she's not of the days right. where you would call brands and request things because you're a celebrity. <laughs> she's so not like that, that it would never even occur to her to do that. And she almost thought it was kind of funny when my sisters and I were working in entertainment, she was like, oh, you girls near your flashy things, you know, she's just like your, she's America's mom. She really is America's mom. And now I guess America's grandma as well. Cause I know you have yeah, a couple of America's Jojo. Well. That's what yeah, we call her. I know. So <laughs> cute. So cute. So I've been a huge fan of your, your Instagram stuff for, as I said, for a while. And it's so interesting to me just to, to kind of know the backstory of how you were able to pivot that presence into a business. And as you mentioned, your, your prior career was all in PR and for a long time. So I worked in PR for a really long time um, since I was in college at NYU. So really, it was almost a 20-year career from start to finish. And, um, you know, I loved it. I was made for it. I loved being a publicist. Um, I worked hard at it, and I, I rose through the ladders of that career. So I represented everything from boutique fitness brands all the way up to Fortune 500 companies like McDonald's and General Motors and all these big, big companies. And I loved all of them, but I realized what I really loved was kind of being on the front lines of health and wellness. And so when my husband and I got engaged on a treadmill at Barry's boot camp, and my mom was there at the engagement, so it ended up on page six and yada, yada. And it kind of started our public facing persona as a fit couple. So we just kind of rolled with that. We we're like, oh, we'll start an Instagram account to kind of share our fit journey and 
just for fun, right? Yeah. But it really did take spark. And um, what really, you know, it's funny, what really kind of turned the tide was when I was pregnant. I said to George, my husband, I said, babe, all these people are following me that like, I don't even know. Like all of a sudden we had like a couple thousand more followers and a couple thousand more. And um, something was sparking about our journey with that. And that's kind of when it grew. Fast forward two years, what had started as a first as a, just for fun hobby, then as kind of a side hustle, as I started doing, you know, sponsored posts and whatnot, all of a sudden was becoming a full scale platform where I was, I had pivoted it into not just Instagram because personally, to be perfectly honest, I'm not a millennial. I don't believe that being an Instagram influencer should be anybody's pursuit as a career. If that is your end goal, you're missing the point. Okay. So I, uh, and I also want to stress to young women that you don't own the platform of Instagram. So anything that you don't own and you put all of your revenue eggs in that basket, you could be in big trouble someday. So make sure you're diversifying your Mm -hmm. professional portfolio. So for me, when I realized it was really a solvent brand was when I was able to do other things. Like we did a cookbook, we were doing live in-person events. I was doing all different types of activities and activations that, that were allowing me to spread a message of wellness and kind of sharing things through the lens of being a fit mom. And I realized that I was just having so much fun that it it was worth pursuing. And okay. that's what brought me to today. I've got like 15 sidebars here. <laughs> Let's go back. Yep. Let's one, go back. One thing that's interesting is when we have interns who come into the station, for years you'd get somebody and you'd say, well, what is it you'd like to do? And nine out of 10 times, I want to be an anchor, which was always the wrong answer because you were supposed to say something that at least had the perception of having more um, hands-on work, right? for lack of a better term, you know, you were supposed to say something that would help you um, learn it from the ground up, answering the phones, going out and being a reporter, hitting the streets, that kind of thing. So it was funny. We used to make these kind of broad generalizations about somebody who would say, I want to be an anchor. Well, the answer started changing about five years ago, five to seven years ago. And a lot of these, these kids coming in, and I say kids, some of them were 22 years old. They would tell you flat out, I really want to be an influencer. I'm like, huh? Come again? That's a, that's not a job, but it's interesting. Some people have some, not a lot. Some people have been able to do it where that is a, a route where people are seeing kind of a lucrative way to do things or certainly a way to experience the world that was different than before. And once I started seeing people really carving out a path, I I had to like really change the way I looked at influencers in general and their, their ability to influence, hence the name, what we buy, what we think, what we wear, and how we feel about ourselves sometimes. 100%. Here's why I make the distinction, okay? So to be clear, I am an Instagram influencer for a living. Probably like it is, if we're doing my P&L, it's probably my main revenue source because it's a big, big part of what I do. I do it with integrity. I do it with pride. I try to shoot really beautiful content and really integrate these products into my life in a way that's meaningful. I show behind the scenes of how the products help my family, all of that. Okay. My point is this, um, and this is why we started off the gram, which is my podcast. 
and it's influencers. Awesome. Thank you. Influencers have a bad name. Um, they're kind of a joke sometimes for good reason, because there's a lot of 23 year old young ladies who can take a pretty picture of an acai bowl, but that <laughs> somehow makes them think that they're an expert in health. And those are two different things. Right. So categorically, what I would say is you want to be an expert. You want to be a passionate um, curator of information and disseminator of information to your public in a way that resonates. So there's two different ways to look at it. And for me, my passion is being a health and wellness expert. I'm not a registered dietitian and I'm not a personal trainer. I never claim to be those things. What I am is a curator of information. I am a true wellness geek. I geek out on it, I care about it, I love it, I love to learn about the trends, and I like to share that with my audience. And I also really enjoy being very authentic and sharing the moments that aren't so perfect. And I think that's usually the most successful influencers are very open and mm -hmm. authentic. You also come at it though with almost 20 years of experience on the other side, which has gotta be also an interesting thing when you're putting content together. Yeah. And I would say that helps me the most. I mean, the authenticity part, you can't really teach. You have to just really want to either do that or not do that. But the part that's very helpful for me in having- It's like kind planning of the, or, spontaneity, right? Yeah. You have <laughs> to just really, um, you can learn, like I learned to take better pictures. I, I learned to shoot more beautiful content. I learned tips and tricks about photography and things of that nature and video editing, but you can't learn to be interesting or funny or want to open up and, and, and be, and have integrity around the things that you share. So that's one piece of the puzzle. But I would say on the other side, what's helped me the, the most about having kind of the, the institutional pedigree of having worked in corporate life in PR for almost 20 years is that I also have a business head about it. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand as an influencer that if you are not affecting these brands' bottom lines, if you're not helping them move the needle and drive business, then what is your purpose? So I really try to look at each campaign as not a means to an end for myself, but really how can I come full circle and really over deliver and show this brand that I've done a very good job for them and driven business their way. This is utterly fascinating to me. I love this. Okay. So how, how does it work? Does a brand approach you? Do you approach a brand? And then what happens from the time you guys first connect? Sure. So there's really two ways. Either the brand will come to you directly or a PR company will come to you directly. Um, or I might reach out to a brand. So most of my brand interaction at this point is reactive, meaning I usually am reached out to by them. However, some of it's proactive and I'm very, very much a fan of if there's a product I really love, then I, I send them an email and I say, is there a way we could collaborate? You know? Um, again, I'm not looking for a check. I'm looking for an opportunity to share with my audience how much I love this product. And by the way, let's do it in a real full scale campaign. So I can like, you tell me what you want me to share with them. Do you have new products? What's your marketing calendar look like? How can I really help you? Rather than just saying, you know, I I drink this, I like it. I do, you know, I, <laughs> I drink this, I like it, but like, let's bring it full circle, you know? Interesting. So, um, all of that said, they approach you and then it's a very long process. And I think that's what people don't realize. There are 
campaign briefs, there's content shoots, there's, you know, um, creative boards that you put together with all of the content and all of the imagery. It goes through many rounds of approvals. It goes through many rounds of legal. Um, you write content, they approve it. They come back with edits. You have to reshoot often. There's many really? times when they'll come back and have you go back to the drawing board. You know, there's a lot, it usually takes a couple months from outreach to post. Um, you know, I like, there's a ton of vetting that goes on and there's just a lot, probably more than people realize. I, and I'm shocked. I would not have thought there was that long of a process yeah. to do that. It's, it's so interesting. Well, if it's a big brand, especially, and mm -hmm. also there's usually a lot of education. And that's the part that I also think people don't realize. Not always. Do some people just hold up a tube of toothpaste and say, I like this toothpaste and maybe they never brush their teeth with it. <laughs> I'm sure they do. Right. But when I'm doing a, a post for, um, especially a brand that's a supplement or has some sort of a medical angle. I mean, I've gone to literally master classes on, you know, antioxidant master classes to learn about the micro ingredients of something that I'm promoting because the brand said, before you talk about this on our behalf, you have to be educated. And that's, so there's a lot of that that people probably don't realize. Well, and that's probably where your prior background must really come in handy. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You're going down a major rabbit hole before you say a word. <laughs> well, it's very important because especially in this day and age of cancel culture being so pervasive, uh -huh. if you don't do your homework and you promote the wrong thing, or you say something that is, can be perceived as tone deaf or, or giving God forbid, dangerous advice, you could be in really big trouble mm -hmm. as I you should have, be. Um, yeah, well, that is true. <laughs> I have a 15 year old son and you know, their, their big thing right now is it's Snapchat and it's all about the numbers. Oh, so-and-so has this many snaps and you know, whatever. And certainly I think people have looked at, um, social media and spe specifically, sorry, uh, Instagram as this many followers, this many likes and, and kind of the quantitative stuff. How, how important is that number these days? And has that changed in the last few years? So there are a lot of metrics that go deeper than just your followership number. Um, as we all probably know at this point, some people can be doing dishonest things around follower count and those things can be tweaked. So it's really more about engagement metrics. And these are usually analytics you can get if you have a certain type of account where you're able to look at your insights and the brand will always ask for those insights. So I do two things. I'm very transparent. I'll provide any insight you want, but truth be told, I always say, look, it is more to me, it is uh, more effective for me to give you anecdotal evidence than it is for me to screenshot a metric. So as the, for instance, um, if you look at my Instagram metric, cause it says that over half of my followers are in New York city, which I'm sure they are mm -hmm. because I'm from New York city and NYC is in my handle. However, I've now been on TV for several years. And especially because I am on QVC, I have viewers across the country. And so I have such a wide swath of women in particular and very specific age ranges. And I'm able to really target what their pain points are in those age, age ranges because they talk to me. They come in my DMs, they ask me questions and they talk to me. And so usually what I'll say to a brand, uh, if they say, well, I see that your age range is higher in the 30 to 35 demographic. And we're trying to reach boomers with this campaign. I'll say, absolutely hear you. Would you mind if I put together a short deck to serve as a proposal with um, a little bit of anecdotal evidence to show you how I am reaching that community? So I'm really big on like a personal touch. I'm not, you know, I, that's why I don't do things. A lot of people book campaigns in the influencer word 
world through dashboards or portals on these kind of big influencer, you know, uh, kind of syndicates. That's not how I do it. I do it person to person, you know, person to brand or person to agency. And I like to give them my all. Yeah. Um, how did moving in the middle of the pandemic from New York City to Pennsylvania, how did that change the business part of all this? Well, for me, it's actually made it better because I have I, we moved from a small two-bedroom apartment to a very large house here in Pennsylvania, which that's not bragging. We pay the exact same amount because you just get more for your money right. in Pennsylvania. So all of a sudden we had more space to shoot. We were shooting new parts of our life for our followers, which included things like decorating a home, becoming, you know, home dwellers, you know, furnishing and decorating and enjoying things that you weren't able to do in New York. You know, there's different things that you could do here that have become part of our journey and settling into country life. And our yeah. followers are really liking that. So that's been kind of one angle of it for me. But on the other angle, I'll tell you, I mean, I've been doing just as much TV from this here couch <laughs> as I ever did in real life because we're still at that moment in time where people have just learned to adapt. Yeah. And it's the people who've been able to pivot quickly are the people who've been able to successfully navigate this, this kind of crazy frontier in media right now, whether it's what you do or what I do. Yes, but you have to take it on yourself. You know, I, it's, there's a, an investment. It's part of the cost of doing business. We were talking about this earlier, yep. you know, we had to buy certain lights and I had to buy certain audio equipment and my husband, God bless him, had to hardwire certain rooms of our house to make sure I wasn't on Wi-Fi for certain recordings because it, it wouldn't work as well. Uh, literally cut to him. I was doing Good Day Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago and we were doing a cooking segment and I don't usually do segments from my kitchen. That room wasn't hardwired. So cut to him at Home Depot at 11 p.m. the night before the segment and hardwiring our kitchen. Um, but it's just what you do. And it's funny, I've had brands come to me and say, well, can we, um, you know, we know what your usual kind of rate is to do like a day of media, but we'd like to pay you a little less because you know, you're doing it from home. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Let me understand this. So now I am the cameraman, the producer, the hair and makeup department, uh, all of that and the talent, but somehow, and they usually said, okay, no, we understand. Uh, but you know, there's an education process for everybody. Absolutely. That's so funny. Um, tell me a little bit about QVC. I am fascinated by how it works. And you, like a lot of the guests have been actually working from home. How did that come about? It is such a marvelous place to work. I just really love QVC and it's so funny. I'll tell you the reason that they approached somebody like me to be the face of, I'm the face of Zuda Activewear, which is QVC's proprietary athleisure brand. The reason that they approached me is because I kind of fit that modern millennial, that mature millennial, I'm not a millennial, I'm one year too old, but uh, that mature millennial, uh, so kind of that young mom type that they're trying to reach, right? Because they want to make sure that they're also reaching uh, a younger audience than, than is their traditional audience. I am the perfect person because I, I, I'm the perfect person to to actually be a target, right? As a, as a watcher, because I didn't watch before. But now that I watch, I'm like, oh my gosh, QVC is so cool. Yeah. They have joyful, they have joyful television content. Mm -hmm. They have fabulous stuff. I buy stuff from there all the time. My poor mom, every time she tunes in to watch me on the air, she's like, you just cost me another $300. <laughs> she shops and shops because they have great stuff. Cool, hip, 
awesome stuff. So they're using somebody like me, not only as on-air talent, but to share with my community, like, hey guys, you're missing out. QVC is really cool. There's cool stuff there. And so it's been really fun to kind of be a part of that transformation as they continue to modernize. And um, it's fabulous. So I love the clothes that I represent so much. Again, talk about something I geek out on. I'm wearing wearing it right now. Super cute. And and it's been really fun. And we've just been, it's been a quick pivot and we all just uh, work via Skype. How, how long a segment when you're on live, how long are you on live? So here's where it depends. My typical hit will be anywhere between five and 12 minutes. Um, and the funny thing is, you know, think about that. So I say I have a seven or eight minute hit in the past. I would have had to go all the way to Pennsylvania, taking a two and a half hour train ride, maybe slept overnight in a hotel, you know, gotten there at four 30. 30 in the morning, hair and makeup, yada, 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 maybe waited around half the day for an, a seven minute hit. And then all the way back home, it's actually kind of nice. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to be able to do it from here, but there's also days when you have an hour show, or perhaps you have what's called a TSV, which is a today's special value where you're literally the one spotlighted item for the whole day. And you're basically on, uh, in every show for 24 hours. And that's a long day. That is wild. What is something about doing that job behind the scenes that would surprise us? Oh, the fun I'm that so we have. geeking out right now. If no, you can't tell. Totally. <laughs> I love so the fun the that scenes. we have. Me too. And the fun that we have in the green room, because you never know who's going to pop in. So think about the types of brands and guests that are on QVC. You're going to have Isaac Mizrahi hanging out with, you know, me hanging out with the person who sells the garden wear with the person, you know, selling, um, you know, like Josie Mara and the fabulous beauty products. Um, Mally, who does the fabulous cosmetics, just did a, par- a collab on QVC with RuPaul. So, the, <laughs> you know, also Rachel Hollis, I ran into backstage yeah. one day and Lisa Rinna. So all sorts of really cool stuff. And we're all just one big family because you really are there on a day when you have a hit, you're waiting around all day. You're all just mm-hmm. kind of gabbing and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's not that unlike your mom going into the green room at GMA for 20 years. You never knew who was going to be in a place like that either. She talks about that all the time, about how going in every day was like a big adventure. And um, I'm part of some fun, uh, like closed groups on Facebook with some of the old school Good Morning America family. And these are the people that I grew up with. And we've all been recounting stories from the 80s and 90s about just those times. And I, you know, it's, it's similar now, but it was, there's something different about it back then, you know. Um, there's something different about everything back then, yeah. you know. It was, it was very regal. Um, it was also uh, under the the news division before it was under mm-hmm. the entertainment division. Um, so it was there was it was a different time. But you, you think know, back was to a, some of that. There was an elegance to television back then, yeah. you know, like <laughs> what your mom did at that time, especially being, um, you know, really kind of the face of working women and children. I mean, your mom broke barriers for that that I benefited from many years later and you know making her family and having children a very normalized talked about thing on in the mornings was a big big deal that we didn't even understand until decades later totally and you know this is back in a time when you weren't even allowed to say the word breast on tv yeah. so let alone breastfeeding you know yeah. and she had she had stories that she's told me where she like lactated through a silk blouse yep. because she, she went, she, you know, her, her cup runneth over and it's like, you know, today that's so normalized. It's like free the nipple, right? It's totally. like all these things, you know, it's like everyone, oh, breastfeed everywhere in public. But like 
that was not that time. And she was really only the second woman after Barbara Walters to hold a position like that on television. And I'll tell you, when I think of how, <laughs> after I had my two babies, how down for the count I was. And she, right after she had me, I mean, right after she had me, she scooped me up. I mean, this is like just a couple weeks later and started bringing me in with her at four o'clock in the morning. She would breastfeed me in the car while she was reading her script. She'd put me in a bassinet and for actually about 30 years until they moved studios from up on the Upper West Side. Uh, for Good Morning America used to be where the rest of ABC is on the Upper West Side in the 60s. Now it's in Times Square. However, there was a room that said that was turned into, I think, the Xerox room, but they called it the Baby Jamie room. And I had a plate up <laughs> on the door Aww. and it said Baby Jamie for like years. And um, it, and she was just so brave to do yeah, that. it was I, brave. I'm such a baby. I mean, I was like down for the count for four months, you know, and here she was just like, you got to do what you got to do. But we had such a wonderful time. I mean, we travel all over the world with Good Morning America. I was at Princess Diana's wedding. Meanwhile, I was three months old, but, um, but you were there. I was there. You were there. You were there. Um, let's talk a little bit about your family. Um, your husband is, you, the other girls on your podcast, they always talk about how much they love George. And I don't know George, but I love George as well. I find just learning about your family and, and the unusual way you guys met and got married. I mean, like, you have such a great love story. So George is 20 years older than me. And if you would, and this is why it's so great. We were set up on a blind date. And had we met on, not that we would have met on a dating app because neither of us were on a dating app, but I just say that because I think that's how people meet these days. If we had met on a dating app, I probably wouldn't have, what is, what, this shows how old I am. Do you swipe left or swipe right? I don't, I don't know. know, but my husband and I say the exact same thing. We would never, we would <laughs> never match up. Never. <laughs> right. And, you know, we were set up on a blind date. And from the moment I walked in that restaurant, we, I knew immediately, like we were done, you know, and he is the most, well, you know, I'll say this, there's something to be said maybe for, for an older guy, because I feel like I'm getting the best version of him. And I feel very lucky. Um, he's, he's a grown up, which mm -hmm. is nice. Uh, and so he has three grown kids and they're wonderful humans. And we're all so close, but I do feel like as an older dad, he is getting to be the dad, maybe that he was never able to be it to his fullest when he was younger because mm -hmm. he was just too young. And so as he's 60, I'm 40 and um, God bless him for wanting to do this all over again, but he is such a good dad and a darling husband. And what my favorite part about our relationship is we both geek out on the wellness thing together. So yes. we have so much fun with our fitness and with recipe developing with our plant-based lifestyle, which we both took on together. When we first met, we drank Red Bulls and ate M&Ms. So we were not, <laughs> we were gym rats, all but the time. we were not this healthy. Yeah. Right. Um, and that is kind of interesting too, because working out together isn't something that all couples can do. I mean, I'm fortunate my husband and I run together and, and it's great that we like to do a lot of these same things. And that's where a lot of our, like our best conversations are usually on a long run, like all the stuff, all the boring talk about the grown up things about retirement, investing, and you know, the kids, whatever, usually happens during a workout. What do you think is maybe um, the key to couples finding that common ground together? You have to find something you both like to do, you know, although George is pretty game. Like I've brought him to like, I mean, this is more for when we were shooting content. I was just watching this video that we did for our YouTube channel a couple of years ago, where we were doing your fitness finds in DC, where you can bring your kid. Like if you're traveling to DC with a child, what can you do? And I remember I made him do a bar class with like 50 
chicks <laughs> and he was the only dude um and there are some game. advantages to that though let's yes. be honest <laughs> yes no he's super game but i think for something that's sustainable and maintainable you do have to find things that you like to do together but the reality is like you know it's just about having an accountability buddy for me it is about having an open dynamic from a conversation perspective and being able to say we're going to support each other. You don't have to do every workout together. George and I don't work out every day together, but we both hold each other accountable. I say to him the night before every night, like, all right, what's your workout plan for the morning? And we talk about it. We make sure it's, it works in our schedule. So we both, you know, tended to childcare, if it's a weekend, whatever the case may be. And we build it together and it's, it's the anchor of our life. It's a very firm foundation to build a relationship on. Is your energy and enthusiasm and joy a choice or is it how you're wired? Oh, that's such a great question. It is definitely a choice and it is learned. Um, I definitely struggled. I was on the struggle bus like every other teenage girl and young adult on the planet. I don't think I'm unique in that, but man, it was not easy in those years as I was finding myself and I struggled with all the things that people struggle with, right? So from the eating disorders to the just feelings of imposter syndrome to all of that. Um, but I definitely got from my mom and she got this from her mom, a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of sensibility, right? Like you got to put on a smile, the rest will follow. Uh, fake it till you make it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And eventually you see your way through. But for me, it's also very spiritually grounded. Um, I'm spiritual, not religious. I'm very spiritually grounded though. Um, so my spirituality is rooted in um, a gratitude practice, you know, yoga, meditation, movement as mindfulness. And it's very important to me. And I do a lot of spiritual reading and so does George. So we really try to hold each other to um, a measure of accountability there too, to make sure that we're kind of vibing with our highest selves. That's been really difficult for a lot of people that, that pull yourself up mentality has been, it's never been an easy thing for some people, but it's that much harder this year. Do you have any advice on how people can kind of get past the, some of the hurdles that are there if it doesn't come naturally to them? So I'll say this, and I, I, I wanna preface it with, um, a lot of people are being accused of kind of being out of touch for having a, hey, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps conversation with their public mm -hmm. in this time of great strife. And so I want to go into this answer with a full candid, you know, um, perspective that I know it's not that easy, right? So just put a smile on your face and the rest will follow is not the advice it's going to get us all through, right? It's harder than that. And I understand that. However, um, we do have a choice at the beginning and the end of each day. And I would say that to keep it basic and to keep it simple would be my biggest advice. You have to start the day um, uh, first and foremost, thinking of how you can be of service to others. So when I say be of service to others, I don't have to volunteer at a soup kitchen, but I have to go into my work day thinking um, not just how am I going to make money, but how am I going to provide a service to my clients and how am I going to show up and be my best self in exchange for also negotiating for what I'm worth and all of those things. And at the end of the day, very simply, you have to say thank you. It's about developing a, um, a a heart where you're going into things to be of service and then a gratitude practice because I am wholly convinced 
that having an attitude of gratitude is my key to success. I can't think of a better way to end. That is phenomenal advice. So thank you so much. Um, what are some good ways for people to stay in touch with you? You have a lot of ways to stay in touch now that I think about it. <laughs> I do, but yeah. most simply, I would say to follow me on Instagram at NYCFitFam. And please do tune in and listen to our podcast, which is called Off the Gram. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Off the Gram Podcast. And then staying in touch with you on Instagram is probably a good place to find out when you're going to be on QVC as well. That's absolutely true. I share I share pretty much everything in my day, so maybe more than you'll want to hear, but I usually do <laughs> share what I'm going to be on the queue on my, my Instagram. How great was that conversation? I so enjoyed talking to Jamie Hess today, and honestly, like I've had this list of questions about how influencers work in my head for years, and she pretty much ticked all of them off, so I appreciate her candor, and also just the energy for sharing how she's made this pivot in her life. Reinvention is... It's the thing right now, and she has done it a couple of times now, and it's it's really fun to watch her career. So make sure you check her out on Instagram, and then seriously, go download her podcast, Off the Gram. It is a show that she hosts with three other women who are all equally as talented and interesting, and the show is just fun. It's like listening to girlfriends talk about really smart things. And there are two recent episodes I want you to check out. Both of them have the theme of reinvention. One was with Carson Kressley. He is so, and I told her this um, off the recording, he was so not what I expected. I thought I knew everything about him. I knew nothing. And I found him utterly fascinating. And then the designer, Rebecca Minkoff, is talking about reinventing her business and pivoting during the pandemic as well. And that one was really interesting. And um, just a, a good way to like see somebody else's world and see how they did something to execute their business, their personal life, their goals. And a lot of times there are little lessons that you can get out of it. And maybe you make some changes too. I know I am. So if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram. I am not an influencer. I'm not in, I'm not there probably ever, but that's definitely not where I am. But you can still reach out to me and you'll find me at Run, Read, Sip on Instagram. And I do read the DMs and, and we'll answer your questions if you have them. And I do appreciate everybody who's been sharing the podcast because, you know, Jamie was talking about all those analytics. They are valuable to a lot of people and definitely to me. So thanks everybody for sharing the show. And I will see you next time on Dying to Ask. <laughs>